And, and let me introduce things this way. Um, when, when I first came here as pastor uh, in 2011, August of 2011, um, a couple that I met early on was a couple uh, by the name of Stan and Louise Seaver. Uh, Stan was just a fantastic guy. Uh, he was in his 80s and the guy deeply impacted me as a young pastor. In fact, on Saturdays, I would show up, uh, you know, I would, I would do my visitation. I still try to do a lot of that on Saturdays where I visit people in nursing homes or whatever, uh, or in the hospital. And, and so I would occasionally go over to his house and, you know, it was weird. I would leave and I'm wondering like, did I encourage him or did he just encourage me? Like I would walk out, like I feel kind of selfish. I think I'm showing up there for me because he just had this like really incredibly sweet spirit, even as he was going through intense suffering. Man, in, in 14, his body just began to, man, slow down. Uh, he was in a lot of pain and for a variety, he was facing a variety of things. But I remember shortly before he passed in 2015, I was sitting with him and he looked over me and it was almost like he was looking at me but in a weird sort of way. It was, it was like he was looking past me and I just happened, it was almost like I happened to hear a conversation he was having with God when he said, you know, I have no regrets. And I'm sitting there and, and here, I knew his story. I knew that he hadn't always been this Christian. I, I, I knew that he had done some pretty terrible things that he had a past that he was ashamed of, but he wasn't saying, I have no regrets because I've done everything perfectly. He was saying, I have no regrets that I chose to follow Jesus. It was just a short time later, in fact, the day that, that Stan left this world, I, I was sitting with him, I'd gone over to pray, and at this point, he was in a coma, he was not responding, and I just whispered in his ear, I said, Stan, you're almost there, buddy. I said, I'm a little jealous of you. I said, you know, something crazy about, you know, save me a spot or something like that. I left and I said, hey, just let me know how things go. I get a call later that afternoon. They said, hey, we just want you to know dad passed. When I showed up to, to pray with the family, his body was still there, but it was just a shell. And they told me, and this is not the way everybody goes, because can I tell you, Christians have car wrecks and they go, they pass in agony and all that sort of thing too. But I think it just matched who Stan was. They said just a, just a little while before he died, all of a sudden he kind of lifted his head and his eyes got big and he asked for someone to bring a Bible and he literally quoted verse by verse, word by word, the entire book of Philippians. And in that first chapter is that phrase, uh, I don't know whether I wanna go or whether I wanna stay. And he even had a twinkle in his eye when he read those words. They said, they fin as he finished quoting Philippians, he laid his head on, a pillow, and just like that, he was gone. What happened next is beyond our comprehension. What Stan experienced after he closed his eyes and passed from this world to the next, like we don't have a context totally for what took place. 
We can't wrap our mind around it, but here's what we believe. We believe that his faith was realized. That when he said, I've had no regrets that I put my faith in Jesus Christ, that literally it came together in a way that had never come together before. That the God he served, worshiped and magnified, showed himself to be faithful, not just up to his last moment here, but when he crossed crossed over into eternity, he was faithful then and there. Unless, unless he wasn't. Unless God wasn't faithful. Unless everything Stan believed and all that confidence and the glow that he had unless it was just an emotional thing that he had bought onto, into some myth, some story, unless it was all some big, big scam. What happened? Was God really there? Was God really faithful? Well, the apostle Paul responds to somebody who's a skeptic might be tempted to to wonder, okay, really, is there anything beyond this life? You know, really, is there anything to this? And and what, what, what the Apostle Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 15 is he comes back to what he he is he's advocating as as the foundation of what we believe. Any of you guys ever played Jenga? All right, like Jenga, like my kids, especially when my kids were little, they love that game. And you know, there comes a point when you're playing Jenga, you've taken out every single wood block that you can take out. And it's just, it's just kind of wobbling and, 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 and you know, just it's, it's barely there. And you know, if on the bottom level, like if you pull that one out, everything falls apart. Here's what the apostle Paul is doing. It's like spiritual Jenga. He's saying, what you believe matters. What we come back to, it matters. In fact, he's gonna make, he's gonna make some pretty bold claims here. He's gonna say, if some of these things didn't take place, absolutely nothing at all matters. Here's what he writes in verse three. He said, for I delivered to you as a first important, uh, let me say this again. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to, to Cephas or to the apostle Peter, then to the 12, and then he says, you know, he appeared to other people. Here's what he's saying. Let me just real quick pause. When he says, I delivered to you a first importance, he, he's talked about some pretty significant things. He's talked about like sexual immorality, you know, he talked about, you know, tongues, prophecy, the spiritual gifts. He's talked about the importance of love. He's talked about all these, all these things uh, throughout this letter to the Corinthians. But what he says is like, man, at the end of the day, like where we stand on tongues and the, the exercising of gifts or how talented you are or, or, or whatever, whether women are doing this in church or not, or whether, well, you know, all, all of these, the morality and, and this, they all matter. But he's like, this is of primary importance. Like, honestly, at the end of the day, you can get rid of all that. It all comes down to this. This is what matters most. This is what anchors our faith. In fact, he says in verse 11, he said, whether it was somebody else preaching this or whether it was I, this is what we preached. This is what you believed. What you put your faith in is that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he was buried. And there's an important third part. 
that he didn't stay in the tomb, that he walked out. And I'm gonna tell you right, what he's saying here is something that, that is as important today in 2023 as it is in whatever year it was, the 50s AD or that, that, that he wrote this, is just as important today because just like there were skeptics then, there's skeptics today. And Christians, listen to me. If your faith is in the fact that at a youth camp one time, you had this warm emotional moment standing around the fire, holding hands, singing kumbaya, I'm not saying it wasn't God. I'm just saying it has to be more than a warm emotional moment. If your faith has everything to do with it, you signed a card one day, you prayed a prayer with a pastor, it's gotta be more than that. That might be a means that, that he used. It's gotta be more than that. Your faith is not anchored to an emotional moment. Your faith is not anchored to a prayer you pay, prayed. Your faith is not anchored to anything other than this, that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried and he walked out. That is literally at the heart of everything that we call the gospel. Without it, you literally, like, like, like literally you get, you, you get rid of everything. Th this is what matters most. And what we're gonna see, and this is my big point this morning, what Paul is going to say is when it comes to the resurrection, there is no, there's no middle ground. You either erase the resurrection or you embrace the resurrection. There is no in-between. And he's gonna write to people that, that they're, they're, they're struggling with this whole idea. And the reason why he's saying this is important, he, it's not just that, that Jesus canceled our sin by his death. He wants us and he's gonna show us that Jesus defeated the power of death by his resurrection. It's not just about what we're saved from, it's also about what we're saved to. We're, we, we have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. This is why the resurrection matters. We do not serve a God who was buried somewhere and is still buried. We serve a living savior. He is alive and that changes everything. Changes everything. And he wants to make sure they get this. And so he, he says this in, in verse 12, he goes, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Because what happened, Corinth is a place where people don't believe that resurrection happens, that a body, is resurrected. In fact, the body was viewed as, as a terrible thing by many of the Greeks. If you read a lot of the old Plato, any of the old philosophers, they talked about the body being a prison. Immortality to them was what would happen when the spirit was finally free of the body. To have the body again, you're like, are you kidding me? This is what gets me in trouble all the time. But the Christians don't believe in dualism. We don't, we don't believe in that there's, you know, that, that, that there's a separation. So, so Paul's saying, no, this is, this is real. And he counters this with some strong arguments for Christians who had been saved, who had believed originally, but then they started looking at the culture and they're, they're listening to all these objections. Like, ah, you know, honestly, I, that's the way I was raised. I don't believe there is a resurrection. I believe that Jesus Christ died. I believe that, 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 you know, he, that we're saved because of what he did, but he's not alive. And Paul, in essence, what he says in the verses prior, he's like, man, there are, f there are up to 500 people who are still alive that saw Jesus. Don't just take it at face value. Go ask them. They know he, they'll tell you that he's alive. But his point is, is, is this, the resurrection matters. He goes, if there's no resurrection from the dead, verse 13, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, what he's saying is like, man, what, what are we doing here? Our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. 
He said, we're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Whom? He did not raise, if it's true that the dead aren't raised. For if the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, he says, your, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep or they've died in Christ, they've perished. Ultimately, here's what he says in verse 19. If in Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, I, it matters what you believe. Any of you ever been scammed? I, don't raise your hand. Don't raise, like, don't raise your hand. Because like, right, somebody's like, huh, you, I'm calling them right now. Uh, no, like, the, no, don't. If you've been scammed, if, if somebody represented something, you believe something that wasn't true, dude, Facebook Marketplace. You want to go scam? Go to Facebook Marketplace. Like, here is just scamming going on like crazy there. Do not pay on, uh, this is just free advice. Don't Venmo money before you've seen it. Come on, please. That's just stupid, okay? But, but listen, we've all been scammed at some point. We bought into something that's not true. There was a lady that I knew that, that, that years ago, uh, you know, I, was, I, I knew her well, we were friends, who a person reached out to her on Facebook, represented that he was in the military. And there's this whole story of how, uh, you know, he was on a secret mission and, and man, he, would you pray with me? He literally began to f nurture this relationship. He was setting it up for months and got to the place where he asked for money the first time and then asked again and asked again. By the time it was all said and done, he got her for over $400,000. She left her house. She, she lost her house. She lost everything. And I remember going over, I, I, I was, I, I tried to tell her. I remember being at her house, talking to her. And I remember her literally telling me, you've got to believe this is true. This is true. And I'm like, no, it's not. The, the, the uh, people from the government don't have Gmail email addresses. That is not true. And I remember, seriously, she's beating on my chest screaming with tears coming down her face saying, you've got to believe me, this is true. And I'm like, it's not. And as I remember closing the door and leaving, there was nothing I could do. Feeling this, just this deep pity and hurt for her. What Paul is saying is this is us if the resurrection isn't true. We're just a bunch of weird people doing weird things believe in something that is a scam. Honestly, we should either be laughed at or we should be pitied for our foolishness. You see, when Stan said, I have no regrets, it's either true or it's not. This thing that we're doing, singing songs, putting stuff up there, me praying prayers and us preaching messages and having life groups and having a women's retreat up in the mountains and all of this sort of thing. Listen, if, if Jesus didn't die and he didn't raise. There's no atonement. There's no redemption. There's no liberation when it comes to sin. If the resurrection didn't happen, hope is gone. There's no power that, that, that offers us eternal life through Christ. There is no heaven. This life is it. We die, we dissolve, it's over. If there's, if there's no heaven, if you uh, erase heaven, if it doesn't exist, like, what do we have to live for? 
If there's no resurrection, there's no heaven. If there's no resurrection, there's no reunions. If there's no, if there's no resurrection, remember that funeral? How many of you have lost a friend, a family member, somebody else that was, that was in Christ? Anybody ever been to one of those funerals? If you've lost somebody, raise your hand. If the resurrection didn't happen, that funeral, that was goodbye forever. Done. Over. None of this matters. If there's no resurrection, I'm not saved. Why in the world would I be serving Christ? Why in the world would I have any incentive to follow Christ? Why would I ever share about faith in Christ? And this is why Paul makes three really huge claims out of the verses that we just read. First of all, he wants to make sure that we understand this. First of all, Christ's resurrection is the foundation of my salvation. Christ's resurrection is the foundation of my salvation. It matters what we believe. It matters what you're anchoring to. If, it, if, it's, if it's not solid, you're gonna drift. You're gonna get away. Christ's resurrection is the foundation of my salvation. But then he takes it a step further as we keep reading, verse 20. But in fact, he says, he's refuting all the skeptics are saying, you know, nah, it's not real. He's asked the what if questions. Well, you know, what if it didn't happen? You've lost all this. But then he's, he makes this, this statement. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And it's not just something he believes. He literally knows people that were there that saw Christ. It's, it's, it's validated by history. This is a actual historical event. Did you know there's more proof of the resurrection when it comes to ancient literature than any other event from, from ancient history? He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He says, he's the first fruits of those who fall asleep. Hold on a second, what's that mean? It means that he's the first to be resurrected, that there's resurrection to come. He's saying he's the first fruits. He said, for as by a man, talking about Adam, first guy, for as by a man came death, thanks to the fall. He contrasts with Christ. In fact, he's gonna do this in, in several of these verses, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so he's not, he's not gonna just, just say that Christ's resurrection is the foundation of my salvation. He's gonna make a point here, and this is important, guys. If, if we believe, it matters what we believe, that it's not just an emotion, that nobody manipulated you into this. It comes down to this. Christ's resurrection is actually the guarantee of my resur resurrection and your resurrection. If the resurrection didn't happen, sorry, we're stuck. This is the end of it. And I, I wanna talk about this for a few minutes. In fact, I'm gonna spend the majority of my time here. We know that death is the great separator. I mean, it hurts when someone that we love dies. It hurts. Like, like the Christians aren't just like, well, you know why we believe in heaven, so no big deal. You know, I'm not even gonna cry. Why should we cry? No, like we're human. We hurt and we grieve when someone dies. But there's a, there's a difference to the grief. You know, last, last year as a pastor, I officiated more funerals than I ever have in my life. Between uh, 2021 and 2022, I lost over 40 of my, of my friends, people that, I, that were either related to me, people I went to school with, went to youth camp with, people I knew well. I'm gonna tell you right now, there's like this heavy weight with death. And I, I felt the weight just of, as you have 
felt the weight when you've walked through this. Just in the last two weeks, we've lost uh, little Brooks Burkholz. We've lost, uh, uh, I think we've had three or four people die just in the last couple of weeks, either attend here or are related to someone that attends here. Here's the thing, like, like we feel this way, but it's, a, it's different. You know, like, like when the Thessalonians, Paul gets this letter from a church in Thessalonica and they're like, man, I mean, we've had friends die, loved ones die. Are, are we gonna see them again? He, he writes them back and in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, First of all, he's like, yeah. And he makes this incredible statement. He said, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And he anchors it to this, that, that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is coming again, that he's gonna resurrect the dead and that we're gonna be not only reunited with Christ, we're gonna be reunited with those who we love, who are in Christ that have gone before. And, and his, his whole point is, is, is this, that, that our loved ones, who are in Christ are, and he's gonna say this later in 2 Corinthians 5, absent from the body, but they're present with the Lord. It's not just that Jesus is alive, it's that those who have died, as we know death in this temporary world, they're alive too. This, this right here is not the end of the story. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us more than just a promise. He begins to give us some understanding on, about what's gonna happen when we're resurrected, what it means and, and, and why it matters. And so, so Paul responds to the skeptic to saying, no, there's no resurrection. In fact, he's, he's actually going to re, uh, repeat what they're saying. And this is, and you gotta understand that the question that is raised, it's a valid question in verse 35, but the, way, the, the person who's saying this is not saying this based on the validity of the statement. They're, they're actually using this as an argument to counter the claim of the resurrection. But someone will ask, he says, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? This is a skeptic to say, which is why he comes back kind of hard. He's like, you foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. So he's gonna use a, uh, he's gonna use a farming uh, metaphor here to make sure we grasp this. Now, any of you ever plant a garden before? All right, so my grandpa, growing up in Indiana, he had multiple gardens. And, uh, and so there were times that, that I got to, for, was forced to help him in, uh, you know, pl playing his garden, whatever. I mean, I was, I, was, I was part of that. And so my grandpa, you know, he had a seed supplier. He'd get all the, the, the seeds in. And so it was time to do this. And, and so sometimes we'd do it by hand. There were other times he had a little dispenser that, that we would use, you know, that would scatter the, the, that would scatter the seed. But, but I remember as a kid, you know, pouring out the seeds in my hand and, and you look at those seeds and, and they say they're watermelon seeds, but they don't look like watermelon. Like, I mean, you're, you're looking at that like, yeah, what? It, it does not look impressive whatsoever. But you know that when you plant a watermelon seed, that there is a process called germination that takes place when the seed decays, if you will. It, Paul uses this language, it dies, but not in the sense of death forever. It's death that brings about life. Now, by the way, like if, you're, if you have all kinds of questions about gardens, do not come to me. Um, I did have a brief stint uh, working in the Walmart lawn and garden department and uh, 
people would come up to me and ask, uh, hey, uh, is this a annual or a perennial? And I would just guess. I'm like, I think it's a perennial. Like, I, I'm, they're more shocked people like, dude, I thought that this was supposed to keep coming up or I thought this was supposed to die. Like, what's going on here? Like, I, I don't know what, the, what I was talking about. But, but here's, here's, what, here's, here's the point that, that Paul is, is making here. He, he talks about this, this whole thing of, of seed. When, when you plant the seed, what comes from that seed, it has a totally different form from what went into the ground. Looks totally different. Like when you're holding an, an acorn, how in the world could you envision that, that that would in 50 years become a mighty oak? But it, but it has to be, it has to be planted. And here's what Paul is saying. Our bodies are buried. We die here, this temporary thing. They disintegrate and dissolve and they rise again in a different form. Same life, same person, different form. And for those of you like, well, I'm gonna tell you what, you know, this is why I'm against, uh, I'm against cremation. Like, how's God gonna bring all that together? Well, I'm gonna tell you why. Like right now, if there's an explosion, there's some of you there, here and everywhere. Like at the end of the day, God has his way of bringing it together because did you know that the body's going to dissolve? It's gonna dissolve into dust anyway. And so the point is this, we're going to be raised, same life, same person, but very different form. Now, you know, you're like, well, so, you know, when I'm resurrected, is my body gonna look the same? Like some of you are hoping, like, like, like I hope I get a little, you know, a little more hourglass figure, ladies, than, than what we got going on here. Or, you know, some of you are like, you know, I'm, I'm doing that whole thing, mirror, mirror on the wall. Are you kidding me? Like, I, like, I heard this week, I heard about, there was an old guy that, uh, man, he's he looking down one day. He's like, man, I am. I'm really glad that I invest in these alligator skin cowboy boots. And then he's like, wait, I'm not wearing boots. That's my bare foot. Like there are times we go through things where our body is breaking down, it's decaying and all of that. And we're wondering, what is my life? Go, what, what, what's our body gonna be like? What Paul's wanting us to understand is first of all, resurrection is going to happen. The dead are going to be raised. The dead, they're going to be raised. It's not this whole spiritual thing, this, this Greek concept. There's no bodily resurrection. No, if there is a resurrection, we will have bodies. But Paul gives us more insight as he, in verse 38. He says, God gives us a body as he has chosen to each kind of seed. He gives us own body. And then he, he talks about, you know, you take him to the lesson, you know, not all flesh is the same. Human body is different from, a, from an animal's body. Uh, birds have a different body. Fish's, fish's body are different. He says they're heavenly bodies. And, and he talks about that, that there's a heavenly glory and there's an earthly glory. Now, we're, we're created in the image of Christ, like in the image of God. We, there is, this is why we talk about every single person has value. I am pro-life, cradle to the grave. Every single one of us are created in the image of God. We have value. But he says that there is a heavenly glory that's greater than the earthly glory. And so the body's gonna be raised, but I, I think this body that's raised is going to be a glorified body. And like, like, it's hard for us to wrap our mind around this. Like probably most of us don't think about this concept. We don't just sit around, huh, what are my body's gonna be like? But he's saying there's going to be such a thing as a glorified body. They're gonna be unique. I, I believe that, well, I actually think I can say with pretty strong evidence that while our bodies might be, they're gonna be different in, in, in some way, they're gonna be still unique that makes us individually and personally unique. 
Because again, we were created uniquely in Christ for all eternity. And you think about it, we, uh, Elijah and Moses had glorified bodies, but when they showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, guess what? They were recognized by the disciples. When Jesus was raised from the dead and he showed up, guess what? Disciples recognized him. Now, I, in fact, maybe looking at, at, at Jesus' resurrected body, maybe that's where, maybe that's where, we, ought to, where we ought to start because uh, you know, he had flesh and bones still. Uh, he ate food, thank God. He was recognized by his disciples. Now, this is cool though. Um, he wasn't subject to the normal laws of time and space. Like he came through the wall that time, which has to be the coolest thing ever. And then like disappeared at another time. Like I'm going through this whole thing where Cole, my uh, youngest son, he's uh, 14. Um, he's getting like perverse pleasure out of scaring me. And not a bit, I'm a, not a big fan, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like I, last night I came in from the garage, came around the corner, he was waiting for me and I came around the corner and he's just like, hey, and I'm like, like I, I do weird things and say weird things like when I'm scared like that. I'm gonna tell you what, there's coming a day in heaven, I'm paying him back, I cannot wait. But no, the reality is this, like, like resurrection is a, is a very real thing and, and we read about this, it's just not, it's not weird. It's no halos, no harps. Thank God. Um, but, but I mean, through all the changes, you're gonna be who you are. I'm gonna be who I am. But there's gonna be continuity. There's this resurrection. I love, uh, some of you have heard of Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, just an incredible lady of God who uh, just God has used as a mouthpiece uh, to, man, to share his love with so many disabled people. She was paralyzed at an early age. And she said this, she says, somewhere in my broken paralyzed body is the seed of what I shall become. The paralysis makes what I am to become all the more grand when you contrast atrophied, useless legs against, what's to come? Splendorous, resurrected legs. I'm convinced that if there are mirrors in heaven and why not, the image I'll see will be unmistakably Johnny, but a much brighter, better Johnny. Dude, this is what is awaiting us. Unless there's no resurrection. But Paul says, he has been raised from the dead. And so Paul goes back, as we continue to read, I gotta bring us to close. Comes back to his farming illustration. Contrast what happens when you put the seed in, when you bring it out. He says in verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is so, it is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now listen, there's this morbid reality, we're all born to die. Like we, we're born and we begin to die. And some of us feel more like death this morning than others. But the reality is this, it's happening. The seed is beginning to disintegrate. It's this process of decay till finally we end up in the grave, which is the final stop of the decaying process. But here's the good news. This isn't the end of the story. In fact, I wish Britton was gone on vacation and so I couldn't get with him. I, I, if I'd have got with him, we would have sung a different song this morning. We would have sung the song, Graves into Gardens, because here's the deal. 
Cemeteries of believers are nothing more than gardens. They're not graves. It's literally the place where the seed has been buried and one day fruit is getting ready to come out and it's going to be awesome. And so he contrasts this, this whole thing. Here's what, here's what happened with Adam. Here's, here's who Christ is. Christ is redeeming everything that Adam lost. Christ is restoring everything that we lost thanks to sin. Adam produced kids who died as he did, but Christ is producing kids who will be resurrected as he was. And then he goes into this. These are words that I read at almost every funeral that I, that I officiate. Verse 50, he said, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable. The mortal body must put on immortality. Decayed bodies aren't gonna live forever. Resurrected, glorified bodies, they will. He says, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Pause. How many of you said that you had a, 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 a believer, friend, family, whatever that died? Let me see your hands. Can I just tell you right now, it might've felt like death won when they died. Paul is saying, because of the resurrection, we laugh at death because death doesn't win. Jesus wins. This is, at the, this is at the heart of everything. They didn't die in futility. They didn't die in pain. No, they literally were swallowed up by victory. Swallowed up by victory. Something Boise State fans don't know about this year. They were swallowed up by victory. This is what God does. Listen, the last point that I wanna make is this. Christ's resurrection stole death's power. It stole death's power. Like, like for us, what do we fear most? Well, some people fear public speaking more than they fear dying. But the reality is this, like we fear death. It's like the final enemy. It steals death's, death's power. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He says, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends with, very, it sounds very anticlimactic. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In other words, what he's saying is, man, I'm gonna fire you up. The resurrection matters. Resurrection happened. Resurrection anchors your faith. Now get back to work. Get back to work, live it. But you're not gonna live like, like going through the motions like, oh yeah, you know, well. I guess we got to do this. No, no, you're anchored to the fact that Jesus is alive. He died, he was buried, but he walked out of the tomb. And what this allows is this, it allows for the Christians to have real hope. Christians don't have fantasies, they have hope. And Christian hope in the Bible is a joyful conviction on the basis of compelling evidence. It is. In fact, I heard another pastor put it this way. He said, 
Christian hope enables Christians to be joyfully pessimistic about this life. Christians have a hope that enables them to stop denying how much life stinks. Dude, you know what? It is not spiritual to act like, oh, you know, nothing's good because Jesus is in control. No, life stinks. People die, we hurt, we cry, our bodies break down, it's reality. But what happens is we remember that that's not all to the story. And here's our problem, guys. Way too often, we're living as if we expect God to give us here what he's promised over there. It's time for us to stop expecting paradise here and embrace the fact that the best is yet to come. When I use that phrase, I'm not using it like a politician because I'm not saying that you're gonna get a better job, you're gonna make more money, that your kids are gonna turn out perfect, you're not gonna have any more pain. No, the best is yet to come because Jesus is coming again. Those who have dead are gonna be raised and we're gonna have a reunion that beats all the parties ever in heaven. I can't wait. The best is yet to come. So knowing that the best is yet to come, knowing that Jesus is alive, we stop Focusing on the fact that we live in the shadows, yes. We live in a place where there's shadows, loss, pain, but we say that just beyond these shadows is the light of eternity. These are just shadows. It's not all there is. Death has been defanged. It doesn't get the final word. It's stripped of its power. Jesus is, Jesus is alive. Today we cry, tomorrow we laugh at death. And yet, at the very end, we know that when it says the sting of death is sin, we've all felt it, that the power of sin is the law. What that means is that because there's a law, we know that we failed. If there was no standard, we could actually convince ourselves that we really hadn't failed. But because there's a standard, we know we failed. Listen, every person in this room, you failed. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a failure. Feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> now, I want you to, I want, hey, I want, I want you to turn to the other person that you don't like as much because you didn't turn to them first and say, you're a failure. Go ahead, get out of your system. Now, here's the deal. We've all failed. Well, like, 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 God, husbands, we failed our wives. Wives, you failed your husbands. Parents, we failed our children. Children, we failed our parents. We failed as citizens. We failed as neighbors. We failed as friends. Honestly, we know we failed the name of Christ. Christ has forgiven us, but there's been times we've, we've blown it. We have failed. And, and here's the only, the only good news for failure is that a judge is gonna come. He's gonna judge righteously as, as scripture says. That, that's our hope, unless when he shows up, there's more payment that he's gonna exact. And here's what Paul is saying. There is no payment due on the day you die. If you are in Christ, you can die as Stan died. No regrets. I have no regrets that I followed Jesus. I have no regrets that I put my faith in the Lord. Have I failed? Yeah. Am I forgiven? Yes. Guess what? Perfect people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And what anchors our hope is that Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose. And I'm gonna tell you this morning, if you don't have that confidence, you're not gonna find it 
in me just sitting down and having a logical, you know, I'm gonna give you all the logic as proof of the resurrection, proof that there's a God. It's not gonna win the day. That might be part of it. That's not, that's not at the end of the day what matters. It's not you having some warm, emotional, fuzzy moment. It's not even you coming and having a prayer. What is going to matter is that somehow, some way, thanks to God's grace, your eyes are open to the fact that Jesus historically died and rose and that in a spiritual sense, he did it so that you and I can have life for all eternity. That's what matters. And if you don't know that, I will stay up here as long as it takes to the end of service. We will have a team, we'll pray with you, pray for you. But at the end of the day, it's gonna be the faith in the gospel that anchors everything. When it comes to resurrection, it's no middle ground. We are either gonna embrace it, we're gonna erase it. Where are you gonna stand? God, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for the hope that we have that this life is not the end. This is not the end of the story. God, thank you for the reality that we do not serve a savior who merely did a noble thing, but was even a sacrifice for our sins, but is buried somewhere. We serve a risen savior who lives to intercede for us. And God, I wanna thank you that he's anchored our hope of eternal life. He's the first fruits of resurrection. What he did, one day we're going to do because we're in you. And so I pray if there's somebody here that's never, never, never received that incredible gift, that promise, that hope of eternal life, that today they would receive that, not based on their morality, their efforts, but coming to you believing that, man, it's only by grace they're gonna receive this as they trust in Christ. And for what you're going to do, we'll thank you. Thank you for the reality that the best is yet to come. And now may your church go back to work because of what you have anchored through your resurrection. We thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. See you tonight at 5 p.m. Next Steps. You're dismissed.